0: We are continuing in on our series, going through 2 Timothy. We're in the uh, third chapter of Timothy, starting in verse 14 uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 17. So I ask you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see wonderful truth out of your word this morning. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Good work. Heavenly Father, again, take this wonderful passage of your word and apply it to our hearts now by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In 1930, a bunch of advertisers got together to try to sell Bibles, and they came up with a paragraph to convince you to purchase the Bible for the first time in your life and i think they captured the essence of the biblical record that we have it says the bible this book contains the mind of god the state of man the way of salvation its doctrines are holy its precepts are binding its records are true read it to be wise believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy it contains light to direct you food to support you and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Christ is its grand object, our good its design, and the redemption of man its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet." This passage that we look at today is really one of the holies of holies in Scripture because it tells us the great power of the Word of God. It calls it the Word that is God-breathed or breathed out by God. It's where we get the word inspiration from. It also tells us that it is the book that leads us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that that is the great grand end is to know Christ. I love the fact that our church, even in the architecture, shows how important the word of God is to us. If you come into these doors out here, you'll see the sola scriptura block, which reminds us that it's scripture alone, the great Latin phrase that reminds us that we are founded upon scripture alone, the God-breathed word, and he speaks to us right now. Also, As we look at our architecture, we also have this uh, beautiful steeple, and on top of the steeple is the cross, and it's reminding us exactly what this passage says, and from how childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writing which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, in our architecture, we are trying to say very clearly what we believe, and the steeple, the point of the steeple is always to point people to God. And the point of putting the cross on top of the steeple is to say that the only way to heaven is always going to be through Christ and Him crucified. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through Him. And I've always loved uh, churches like ours that have a steeple and have the cross because it communicates a couple of things. As God from heaven, as the throne looks down at our church 24-7... We're telling him that we're committed to Christ and his gospel. But the entire community for 24-7, no matter they drive by our church or come onto our property, we're always telling them that it's we know nothing, as Paul said, except Christ and him crucified. That is the answer. Now, it must be effective. It must be effective because I want to show you this cross that is in China... And the communist government has taken down over 3,000 of these type of crosses over the churches in China because they are intimidated by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are more Christians in communist China than members of the communist party? So they should have a reason uh, to be uh, beturbed. Uh, here is another uh, picture of the cross They are taking it down. As I said, over 3,000 have happened. This is happening in real time. The Christians in China and and many Christians around the world are persecuted. So I want to stop the sermon just for a moment because I want us to pray for the persecuted church. Heavenly Father, I pray and we all pray, join together to pray for the persecuted Christians in China, Lord. We thank you for their courage. We thank you that they lift up high the cross of Christ no matter what. We love the fact that their crosses are red to remind us of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for them and many others who are not Christians but are persecuted in China. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage, that you will strengthen, that you will bring them all the comfort that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Now, as we uh, look at this passage, this passage is telling us, but the Word of God is so important that we're to remain in it as God's lane for us. And, and when we think of remaining and abiding in the Word of God and thinking about remaining and running the race in God's lane, we have to ask the question, what are the lines that we're to look at to make sure that we're running the race properly? Well, the first, uh, well, the best answer for that is found in the uh, Shorter Catechism, And just a few weeks ago, uh, we uh, read this together as a congregation. It says, what do the Scriptures principally teach? Well, the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And that is the two lines of the lane at which we are to run. The Word of God, we remain in the Word of God. And on one hand, it teaches us what to believe about God On the other hand, it teaches us our duty in the sight of God, what God is calling us to do. It is the final authority in our life and in every life in all matters of faith and practice. It is how we understand the guidance of God. There was a a, a survey done about how the Word of God influences believers. And the top three things that the Word of God does for believers is that it brings them peace, uh, it brings them encouragement, and it brings them hope. But a distant fourth was really what this passage is talking about today. The Word of God brings you direction. It brings you that answer that we're all looking for, what is the next right thing that God is calling us to do? And this passage today is telling us that to be in the Word of God and to run the race in the line that God has given us is what uh, we are called uh, to do. And so as we look at the Word of God this morning, the first point that we make is, but as for you, continuing what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been equated with the sacred writings. These sacred writings we have been, they have been influential to us from the cradle all the way to the grave. Now you got to understand, Paul is writing his last words, He is going to be executed by Nero. And to the very end, it was the Word of God that gave him the strength that he needed to stand up for the gospel. But also, the Word of God influences us from the cradle all the way to the grave. Right here, the passage says that from childhood, Timothy was possibly shaped by the Word of God, by this Christian discipleship of the Word. Now, the actual language behind this word for, from childhood is actually the word from infancy. From infants, from being as little as little can be, the Word of God has the power to shape our lives for the better under the plan of God. It's incredibly powerful. In fact, modern researchers tell us that a child begins to develop their worldview, how they're going to view life by the time they're 18 months old. And it continues to about when they're 10 to 12. And then that door slowly closes, and pretty much their worldview has been set. That shows you the incredible power of discipling young children from the beginning of their lives. And that's exactly what the Word of God here is telling us the power the Word has uh, to do that. But it also says to uh, Timothy, but you know who you learned it from. Not only is the word of God influential you in your life as the sacred writings, but you learned it from your grandmother. You learned it according to this text uh, early on, learned it from his mom. He also learned it from Paul. And so these people he knows loves him and are concerned about his soul. And so he could trust what he learned uh, even uh, at an early age. But in this Christian discipleship process, it is also a Christ-centered discipleship process. When you're in the Word of God, it's never simply to gain knowledge, but it's to be transformed by your relationship, you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ when you are speaking to God in His Word. Because it's God-breathed. He's having a conversation with you, and He is drawing you to His Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord of your soul. Uh, and it says so right here in the text, which is able, meaning it has the power to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Word of God is always bringing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Francis Schaeffer, the great uh, theologian, had this uh, phrase to say about uh, coming to be a Christian. He says, when a man comes under the blood of Christ, his whole capacity as a man is refashioned His soul is saved, yes, but so is his mind and his body. True spirituality means the lordship of Christ over the total man. Or let me say it a different way. When a woman comes under the blood of Christ, her whole capacity as a woman is refashioned. Her soul is saved, yes, but so are her mind and her body. True spirituality means the lordship of Christ over the total woman. This is the great news of getting into God's Word that it is always helping us apply the Lordship of Christ to every area of our life. And it is a joy to be under His teachings. The third aspect about discipleship with the Word is it gives us this wonderful connecting links, actually five links that are connected together to show you how the Word grows you in Jesus Christ and how it changes you so that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. And the five connecting links are preceded by a little preposition, the little, little preposition four. So it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching. So what is it profitable for? Well, for teaching... For reproof is the second one. For correction is the third one. For training in righteousness is the fourth connecting link. And the final link is, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped, for what? For every good work. When you are in the Word of God, it begins to have this shapening influence upon you. And it does its work in a masterful fashion. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's profitable because it comes from the Lord God Almighty. Profitable means that it's advantageous to you. It is to your advantage, the Bible is saying, for you to be under the authority of His Word. Uh, I love the fact that when it says that, he, that the Scriptures from infancy made Him wise to salvation, that all, of all the words Paul could have used, he used a great word. The Word of God makes you wise unto salvation. It not only brings you salvation, but in that process, it brings you wisdom. It brings you an advantage that you would not have it was not for the Word of God in your life. When I was a young kid, one of the Psalms that I was uh, challenged to read was Psalm 119, because it's the longest Psalm in the Bible. So as I was reading through Psalm 119 for the first time, I remember the one passage in Psalm 119 that caught me, and I want to read it for you. It is just a wonderful passage about the advantage of God's Word for a life. In verse 97, it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. It is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts, and I couldn't believe that the Word of God would make me wiser than the bullies in my life, and there are plenty of people who wish to do you harm, and yet the Word of God, its advantage to me, was so practical as to make sure I knew how to handle the enemies that will come along in life. It would also make me wiser than even my teachers, which was amazing to learn that. And if I would stay in it, it would make me wiser than even the elders, the aged. The Word of God has a great advantage. Martin Luther, the great reformer, described his relationship with God's Word this way. He said, God's Word is alive. God speaks to me in it. He says, it's like God's Word has feet and they run after me. It pursues me god doesn't want to let me go and he says god's word has hands and it lays hold of me and he says why don't you believe the grace that i have for you why don't you believe the wonderful plan that i have for you that's exactly what it's like to be under the ministry of the word of god it is god himself speaking to us loving us the way uh J.I. Packer put it this way uh, using the Trinity. He said, uh, God the Father, uh, in his love, gave us this word. That the theme of this word is God the Son, Jesus Christ. And that the author, authenticator, and interpreter of this word to us is the Holy Spirit. And truly the triune God. The one God who is perfect, but in his perfection is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one in which we were baptized in his sacred name. He speaks to us in this marvelous word. Now let's go in a little bit clearer, if we can, on what the, word, what the profitable part of the word is, the teaching, the reproof, the correction, the training in righteousness, and the equipping for every good work. The teaching, another way of saying teaching is instruction. The Word of God instructs us. Another way to put this is the Word of God tells us what is right. It tells us what is right. Also, the Word of God reproofs us. Reproof, another way to say reproof is to prove you wrong. The Word of God convicts you and proves that you are wrong. This is the aspect of the Word of God... That I absolutely respect out of anything in the Word. I love the Word. I love that it gives me hope. I love that it gives me peace. I love that it gives me joy. But what I really love about the Word is it always speaks straight to me, it never, ever fumbles its words. When I get into the Word of God, Proverbs 3 7 comes to my mind so often. That it convicts, convicts me that I'm not trusting in God, but I'm leaning on my own understanding. And it proves to me, Ken, you're not trusting God. You're leaning on your own understanding. It reproof to me. Also, when I get into God's Word, I often realize that my priorities are all mixed up. And Matthew 6, 33 uh, comes to my mind frequently. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so often when I'm in the Word, my heart gets convicted that I'm worried about all these things. But I need not be. I need to be seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then all these things fall into place. The Word of God tells us what is not right. So it not only tells us instruction and teaching what is right, it tells us in reproof what is not right. Now, correction... Correction uh, is is a good translation here, but probably a better translation, one that gets more at the heart of what the Word does, is it's the word reformation or the word to restore. That the Word of God restores us, it reforms us. It brings us reconciled back to God. And so this is the portion of the Word where it says, all right, I know what I'm supposed to do, what is right, that's teaching. I know what is wrong, what I shouldn't do, what isn't right, that's reproof. How do I get right with God? How do I get restored? And the Word of God is where you go to find that answer. And then finally, in terms of uh, this portion, it says, for training in righteousness how do I stay right? How do I keep being educated in the right ways of God, in the righteousness that comes only from God through Christ? And I do that by being under the ministry and the preaching and teaching and in my reading of the Word of God. And then finally, how do I live right? Well, it says that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is, to me, one of the most encouraging portions of Scripture. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has in advance already prepared good works for you and I as His servants, as His children, to walk in. And this passage is telling us that He has already given us His Word to make sure that we're competent, fully capable of walking into those situations where we're called to do what Christ is asking us to do. So many people seem hesitant about serving the Lord, and yet the Word of God is telling us there should be no hesitancy because God has prepared you for that moment. God has providentially prepared you for that moment through His Word. Right now, You don't have to believe me, but believe the Word. By being under the ministry of the Word right now, somehow in this sermon, somehow in this passage, God is preparing you for future good work. And you know what He says about you? You are fully equipped for it. You are balanced, and you will be able to do it. You will be able to do it to my glory for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel of grace you will be able to do because of the power of His Word. And so as we look at this great passage, it brings us an incredible amount of joy, perspective, and wisdom. But I wanted to apply the word today in a very difficult subject. And the reason why I wanted to apply it this way is so that we can see firsthand the power of the Word of God. The topic that I'm going to bring up is not one that is controversial at our church because we are a Bible-believing church, but to the outside world, it is very controversial, and it's one of the doctrines, the truths that we believe that um, make many people uncomfortable and very hostile uh, to the church. Uh, local. And that is the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of eternal separation from God, the doctrine of the wrath and judgment of God. The Christian church does not like to talk about it. We are grieved that there is the reality that such a, a place exists, but it exists because God is just It exists because God will bring to account those who refuse to repent and follow the Lord and Savior for them, Jesus Christ. And the reason why we believe it is because it's taught in the Word of God. Every time I'm challenged about the doctrine of hell, I always answer it this way. Listen, don't believe in it because I believe in it. Believe in it because Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the shepherd of our souls, the one who died on the cross for our sins, is the one who most taught about the doctrine of hell. In fact, in the New Testament, the word Gehenna, which is the Greek word for hell, is used 12 times. It's found 11 times on the lips of Jesus Christ. So if the friend of sinners believes that it's important to teach us this truth, then what choice do I have except to submit myself to the teachings of God's Holy Word? It's not up for debate. It's not up for a vote. It's time to surrender my heart because Jesus Christ is, and His Word is the final authority on my faith, your faith, my practice, and your practice. And he clearly teaches it. So when you look at the doctrine, you begin to say, well, why is that doctrine so important in the Word of God? Well, it's interesting. When you look at Jesus' statements on hell, he basically gives a threefold defense for why this doctrine is so important to know. And this is where the reproof comes in. He says, number one, that God is just, and there will be judgment, and there will be justice, and he will not acquit the guilty. You know, Idi Amin killed 300,000 precious Ugandans during his reign of terror. Before he was brought to justice in this world, he escaped to Saudi Arabia until a ripe old age in his 70s He lived in luxury until he died. The reason why hell is important is because justice matters. And people need to be held account, and God will do so as the creator and judge of us all. And so that is one of the reasons why the doctrine cannot be let go of. Jesus tells us it's important. A second thing that Jesus indicates when he's talking about hell is that hell is used by Jesus to stop sinning and to stop crime. It's one of the most sin-busting and crime-fighting ways that I know of. Because he is telling people to stop sinning and to be driven to the Savior. He is telling people to stop their criminal and their evil and their mean behaviors, because they will be held to account. You know, in the concentration camps, when they were going to torture or kill one of the uh, poor victims in the camps, the torturers would often say, we don't believe in any God, and we don't believe there's life after death. So we can do anything we want to you. There was nothing that stopped them from hurting anyone else. And Jesus gives us the doctrine of hell to stop right here on this earth in the tracks people who wish to do evil. One time I had the unfortunate privilege of arresting a man who was very, very evil. And as I got to talk with him, he told me, that on a couple of occasions he had the opportunity to commit murder. But he didn't commit murder. He said, because each time the doctrine of hell, the thought of hell, flashed through his mind and it stopped him. One of the reasons why the doctrine is so important is it's a protection, even now here on this earth. But the third reason is maybe the most important reason from Jesus' perspective. When He talks about hell, you always hear Him talk about it in the way of He is concerned about your soul and mind. He loves our souls. He loves our souls so much that He is willing and did die on the cross for our sins. He loves our souls so much that He took the punishment that our souls deserved, and by His shed blood took it upon His shoulders. So that we might be set free and be declared righteous in the sight of God because of what he did for us. He is the only person on earth that I know of, that I've ever read, who really talks to me directly about my soul. He has one of the famous questions of all of history. What profit does it do you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Do you hear His compassion there? Do you hear His love there? The reason why He is so honest with us about hell is because He is concerned for our souls and our destiny. And you can listen to the Pollyannish people who believe that there is no such thing as the afterlife and no such thing as justice. Or you can listen to the almighty holy God of Scripture who sent His only Son to die on the cross Because that judgment is real. But he is giving us today as the day of salvation. The day, today is the day to get right with him. Which comes to the third aspect of the word, right? It's designed for correction, for restoration. And I hope as you hear that description of what Jesus was defending hell concerning, that you cry out, how do I get saved if I'm not How do I get right with God? And the good news is is that God has done it all for you by sending His Son. But it is your time to be moved by His Holy Spirit and to accept Christ and to receive Christ and to rest upon Christ alone for your salvation and to trust His Word. But also I hope that this doctrine moves us to want to do Right, to stay right, to stay in God's Word, to be strongly encouraged and convicted and shaped and molded and mended and motivated by the Word of God. Then finally, I hope it gives you confidence that God has put this Word together in such a way that it is designed to give us the equipping that we need to be balanced to be equipped. The word equipped, I think I told you this a little bit earlier, Martin Luther used the word skillful. God makes us skillful in being able to interact with the world with the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I have a friend who gave me a book recently by Dr. Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a famous preacher and writer and it doesn't really matter much about his life because he told his testimony of how he became a Christian. And I just found it so interesting that it, was, it mirrored my life, but also so many lives that I've heard when they tell me their testimony that it mirrored their lives as well. And I wanted to share with you how he described uh, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized that he got out of God's lane and he went on his own way. And this is what he says. I strayed from God's lane, and I got lost, and I grew of, tired of so many paths that I had gotten onto. But I was always aware that the hound of heaven, that's the affectionate way of describing God who always pursues us, that the hound of heaven was on my tracks, and at long last he caught me, and he led me to the way that leads Life. Listen, this is God's word, and it is His breath, and He speaks to you softly, and and pray, and moves so that you might see the light. But it is also God's word, and there's an aspect to it where it breathes down your neck, that it is the holy hound of heaven, and you're going to feel the heat. I pray, I'm asking. This church is praying, this church is asking that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that today is the day of salvation and that you receive him and rest upon him alone to be your Savior and Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of the living God. I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here who does not know you, that they will simply call upon you and rest upon your cross for their salvation. Rest in knowing that you are the Lord and that if they get into the word, you will guide them, Lord. You will grow them in the way of righteousness. Lord, I pray for the rest of us who have known the power of the word for many years most likely. I pray, Lord, that you will move deeply in our heart that we would want to share the gospel in this word with a lost and dying world that needs to know That there is a power beyond anything on this earth, and it is the living Word of God. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.